Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. And I ask you, is there anyone here who can actually see Jesus? See, we can't see him in the flesh the way his disciples did. We see him with eyes of faith. But Jesus himself referred to you. Did you know that? When he was talking with his disciples, he talked about you as we lead into our key verses in this study of the Gospel of John. Let me read from John chapter 20, beginning in verse 29. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we cannot see with our physical eyes the incarnate Lord. He is risen and seated at your right hand. For the Holy Spirit is here. We pray that you would give us a spiritual eyes that are open, spiritual ears that can hear, that we would know with the eyes of faith that you are there, that you care, that you have revealed yourself to us and you give us life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This is a very special year uh, for us uh, personally and for this church. As we begin the school year leading up to next year, next summer, uh, my uh, retirement for six months now has been uh, announced uh, next summer. So in many ways, I can look at this and say, this is the last time. This is the last time. That's not the tone that I want to set for you. We're beginning this year with a bang as our as 22 uh, students, I believe middle school students, along with some adults, are off at Majnik. We can pray that God would bless them as uh, they have this retreat, that they would see uh, Jesus with eyes of faith there and be, perhaps for many of them, to have their eyes opened with God giving them faith in this time. We, this is the last Sunday before the sign-up for the women's retreat. I would encourage you, unless providentially prohibited, then uh, go to the women's retreat. You, you can, in one weekend, have six months of relationships built, catch up with people that you don't get time to, to spend uh, with them. Uh, sign up today. Husbands, tell your wives, well, I'll take care of the kids. You go and you have a real retreat. It's just Saturday morning through uh, Sunday morning for, for the retreat. So that is a, a great thing. Next week, uh, I will be starting an inquirer's class. For anyone who is new, the inquirer's class is and for those who are interested in their church, who have uh, been, been visiting, it's the pathway to becoming uh, members in the church. But I call it an inquirer's class. A new member's class never made sense to me that you have to decide to join the church before you find out about the church. We'll talk about what it means to be a Christian, where we're coming from as a church. It's open. In fact, the senior pastor's retreat that I've gone to for many years, uh, some of the senior pastors say they, they have their congregation rotate back through the inquirer's class every five years to remind you of what it means to be a part of the church. So it's open to all the church as we would do that. We'll be starting the inquirer's class next week. 
I have the privilege of teaching in the women's ministries. What a, a blessing it has been for me and for Marty to be invited by the women's board uh, to teach on the Wednesday morning classes. The women's uh, Bible studies have uh, Wednesday morning and an evening uh, study as well. There's more opportunities to sign up to get to know one another. And I'll be, pre- be uh, teaching through Revelation. I've done that before in the past if I would do that uh, again. In the wintertime, I'll have the opportunity to go through the Westminster Confession of Faith and what uh, we believe in. It's an evening time, open to everyone to come. That's the pathway for leadership in the church. As I think about these things, it's easy for me to think, well, this is the last time I get to do it. However, there's an entirely different emphasis here that I want to lay. What a privilege it is for this year to come back to the Gospel of John that we would focus in the Gospel on Jesus himself. Because Jesus is the one to whom we point. Jesus is the one who is the living water that satisfies your soul. Jesus is the one that you rely on in your faith. If you are spiritually dry uh, this morning and you come to church and you're just thinking, I'm spiritually dry... The church is not going to give you living water. The church is just the the well. And Jesus said to the woman at the well, ask of me and I'll give you living water. We are attendants at the well, but Jesus is the living water. So instead of thinking of this last year of my ministry, think of this is a relay race. And our faith goes on, our life goes on, and we pass on to the next generation. The faith that we have in the one who satisfies the soul. The one who is the living water. This is the finishing of the foundation. Next year, you build on that foundation. We go on in faith in the church. So that, that's the way we should think of this year. And this is all kind of an overview of this year at Sycamore. I want to end with this. Mary and I, while we were on vacation, had the opportunity to dig into this uh, book, Pray For Me. You heard, you've been here for the last two or three weeks about the Pray For Me campaign, that we want to sign up adults who would pray for all of our middle schoolers and high schoolers. We'd love to have three layers, three generations praying for each of them. That means everybody in the church has to sign up for that. And I was thinking, we ought to do this. How many of you thought, this is an ought, this is a duty? But as Mary and I began to read the introduction to this book and dig into it, we found that it's not just we ought to do this, but to think this way, to pray this way for our young people is transforming to us because we will see, savor, and share. That's a part of the introduction. We would see God at work in our lives. We would savor God's work in our lives. We would share with others. Now, maybe you already have a a group that that you are responsible for and praying for. Uh, Maybe it's not uh, among the the teenagers. We we do want to be passing on our faith to the next generation. Maybe you already have a group that you're responsible and caring for. Take this book anyway and apply the, the way to pray to the responsibilities you have in praying for them. I believe you will be changed. It's a way we become a church that is we were faithful attendants at the well, pointing the one, to the one who's the living water. It's, it sinks very well with our study in the Gospel of John. Here are a couple, uh, the well is just one illustration for that. Here's another one. 
Everything we do at Sycamore, it's like we are a window. And we want people to see through these events, through the retreats, through the Bible studies, through the worship services, we want people to see the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to know him, to understand all of your life in his light, that you would see God at work, savor his work. That means you would delight in it, and you would want to share it. If you're spiritually dry, it's possible that you see all the things we do as a church as a window, and when you hear the call, say, come, look out the window. There's an eagle nesting in the, in the tree outside. And you come and you just look at the window. And you say, do I like that worship service? Do I like the music? Do I like the sermon? Do I like the people? Do I like the style of this window? If you're just looking at the window, you're going to miss the eagle nesting outside. Come look at the window. There are deer in the front yard. You kind of say, this window's pretty dirty. You know, I, I, it gives me the creeps to look at this window. I see spider webs in the window. There's a wasp nest up there. If you're just looking at the window, you're going to miss it. I, if their window's dirty, there's spider webs and there's wasps, but there's deer outside, it's still delightful to come and look as best you can through it. And see the deer outside. In everything we do, we are imperfect people until we get to heaven. We're an imperfect church, but I call on you to come and worship God through the window of the worship service. To come and worship God through the study of his word and the Bible studies. Be a part of it. Do come to the well. Do come to the window. If you don't do that, you're not going to be able to see through. You're not going to be able to taste and see how good God is. You won't be able to drink of the living waters. So it is a means of grace. Come and be a part of it. But don't think, I'm not going to come because that window's dirty. Be a part of it. Let's lay the foundation this year very well of what we would pass on to the next generations and the next generations. In the study of John, you're going to be talking about the one that John says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. John says in his own overview of his book, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You may have life, that you may have life. That's the theme of our series in John. And it is my prayer as we focus on this book uh, this year, going through the Gospel of John, that you will look through the windows that we provide as a church to see the life giver himself. And you may have life in his name. The outline in the bulletin is somewhat deceiving. Uh, I mean, not, not intentionally or literally, but when you see an outline, you think of many different points. It's really a one-point message that begins with the question, which good life do you want? What kind of good life do you want? And everything surrounds that. In this introductory overview, I'm spending more time, this is an overview sermon, I'll spend more time on uh, another overview, an overview of life itself. And we'll just touch on the overview of John, and then we'll next week head into the study of it passage by passage. What do I mean by an overview of life? What a pretentious subheading 
in an introduction. It's not even the main point in the message. It's like a brief history of time. An overview of life. Let's just divide life down into thirds. Your first third is your preparation third. Your second third is your productive third. Your third third is your last third. Okay, now, the first third may be kind of a short third. I came here at the age of 27 years old. And in a sense, my life was preparation for the ministry that God would, uh, would give to me to begin here as a church planter in 1982. Now, in that first third, there were a lot of things that were not just preparation. There were accomplishments in themselves. So for those of you that are in the first thirds, boy, we love it when you win that race. We love it when you uh, study and, and you get that subject down. We love it when you graduate. We love it when you accomplish things. There are lots of things. This is a very broad stroke. But in the first third of your life, third of your life, you're being raised up and prepared. It is such an important third because you make decisions in that third of life that direct the rest of the course of your life. The rest of the course of your life. Spiritual decisions that direct the rest of the course of your life. You'll decide what you will what well you'll be drinking from, what kind of good life you will pursue in that first third of your life. In that middle third of your life, you're, it's your productive years. You've got your job. You've kind of settled into the track. You know, I know it's a rough stroke and not everybody has, uh, but that middle third may be a longer than 30 years. You know, third, just, you know, I think 30 years, 30 years, and 30 years. My, my parents died at 95. I'm 65. I have 30 more years to go. But that middle third, that, those are your productive years and maybe 50 years where uh, you've, you're full strength, you've got your preparation, and you're going at it. Ask yourself where you find yourself if you're in that third. What well are you drinking from? What windows are you looking through? What, what good life are you seeking? The last third, those, that's the uncertain third. How many of us know, I know folks in this congregation, that the year of retirement was the year you lost your health and even your life. You have the sense of being cut off. That's a life interrupted. Those are uncertain years. Those are the years that you look back and, and think about what was the good life that I was trying for? When was my peak? You see, if you're an athlete, if you're a female gymnast, your peak is really at about the age of 14. They had to change the rules of the Olympics to make the trainee go a little bit older because that was harmful to, to the girls emotionally to, to be peaking at 14. But how many gold medalists were 14? If you're a football player, it's in your 20s, you're a relic, you're a dinosaur if you get to be a quarterback at the age of 39. People are amazed and wonder about that. You're passe after that. You're, if you're looking at that kind of life, then your peak is early. So I don't just look at that. I, I, I'm a thinker. I, I uh, have more to contribute than, than just my physical prowess. I will contribute. My peak is, is later than that. Okay, you peak at 60. What's after that? You see, when you have this overview of life, it actually gets depressing. When, uh, when we were on the threshold of an empty nest, and Margaret and James were still at home, 
Mary said, you know, we never got to provide our kids with a puppy experience. Let's get a dog. She never said it, but I think she wanted the pitter-patter or something around with that emptiness. She might not even been aware of it herself. But we had that puppy stage, and after the kids were gone, Lucy became our fourth child. And when we got Lucy and brought her home as a puppy, and James held her, he said, she is really cute. And he handed her back, he said, it's really going to be sad when she dies. And then we thought, it's going to be special. Let's... There's a movie called My Dog Skip, and it happened to be a Jack Russell, the same breed as our dog. And so for two hours, we watched My Dog Skip from puppy stage to the day the dog died. We thought, why did we watch that? Any overview of life is so sad if we think in terms of this world and this life. So I ask you in that light, in that context, what kind of good life? Are you going for? Even if you achieve it, does it not hit that stage of decline where there's just sadness and disappointment? See, that sets us up now for the study of John when John says that you may have life in his name. We have to ask, well, what kind of life? What kind of good life? Did you know in the Gospel of John, uh, in, in the New Testament, there are three Greek words for life. Much is made of, in Christian circles of three Greek words for love. There's eros love, physical love. There's, uh, you know, you got the word erotic from that. There's phileos love, Philadelphia, the city, the city of brotherly love. I've heard it referred to as the city of brotherly shove in irony. But phileos is that companionship, that friendship love, or agape love, God's unconditional love. If you've been a Christian any time at all, you've probably heard a study on the three kinds of love. How many of you have been in a study on the three kinds of life? It's not as well known and well taught, but it's really interesting. It's really significant. And just because they're the Greek words, I decided to put it up so you could see it and not just glaze over in your minds. The three Greek words for life are bios, suke, and zoe. Bios refers to matters of the physical body. We get the word biology from that. John never uses this word for life in his gospel, but he does in his first letter. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of bios, the pride of biological life, your physical life, your animal life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. If you only see things in terms of material things, things that can feed the body, things that can clothe the body, things that suit the body, things that are of the flesh, that are material, that's that level of life. And even the animals have that. A lot of people live at that level. You say, no, I want to go above that. You know, the second Greek word for life, suke, refers to matters of the self, the soul, the mind. You think particularly the mind when we think of our word psychology. But it's broader than the mind. It's really yourself, your soul. 
It's the part of you when, when we die and the body is left behind, we say the person is not here. It's the person. The suke is the person. That's more than the body. We are clothed in a body, but when we die, we know that the person is separated from the, the, the body. The physical body is not the person. It's just the house for the person. This is the person. We were made body and soul. There's another kind of life that, uh, another word for life. Now, before we get to that, this is, this is the word in John 12, and we'll come back to it when we talk about the paradox of faith. Whoever, loses his, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for, it goes on to say eternal life, and it uses the third word. Whoever loves his life is using the word suke. Whoever loves his suke, whoever loves himself, will lose himself. Whoever hates himself in this world. That doesn't mean you have, have self-loathing. It means that you, instead of living for yourself, Jesus said, if anyone would be my disciple, he must deny himself. That same word, deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. If you live for yourself, you'll lose yourself. If you surrender yourself to Christ, you'll find yourself. I've anticipated the Christian paradox right here. We'll just touch on it at the end again. The third word for life that John uses is Zoe. We have a couple of Zoes in our church. It's a great name. It is uh, the uncreated, eternal life that's in God himself. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That isn't from the first chapter of John referring to Jesus as the eternal Son of God. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. It's not created. It's always a part of the Godhead. It's one of his attributes. And what's interesting is when God created Adam and Eve, he created them body and soul. And he gave them access to the tree of life, Zoe. This eternal life is not a human attribute. Our eternal existence is. But our eternal life is entirely the gift of God from the beginning, even before the fall. It was the tree of life that God gave to Adam and Eve. That they would know him, have fellowship with him, be, have spiritual life. They would uh, be able to live with the purpose that he gave them to glorify him and to enjoy him. It's that life, when he said, in the day that you sin, you will die. And they did. Let's look a little bit. This is a tiny, tiny rabbit trail. A lot of Christians have been taught that we are three-part beings, body, soul, and spirit. And the soul makes up the mind, the emotions, the will, uh, the self. But we need to add to it a new com another component, that of spiritual life. And this isn't a big controversy, a big debate. I mean, it all works out in the end you know, when we see clearly in heaven. But let me offer to you what I think is a better way to handle this perspective. That is, we're two-part beings, body and soul. It's easy to understand. When we die, the body remains and the person goes on. That part which goes on, made up of the mind, the emotions, the will, the, the things that make us a person, that's one part of us, and the body is just the shell. And we know that's not the person. When I was young, just 
you know, eight or ten years old, when my, my grandmother died. She was in an open casket in a country church, and there was one point in time when nobody else was in the church. They were having a reception outside. And as a child, I went in because I was curious. And I went up to see and look in the casket. And I saw my grandmother's body, and I reached in and touched it. Now, usually that kind of thing is seen as so traumatic. Actually, there was some comfort in that to me because I was hearing the message, Grandma's in heaven. This is not Grandma. This is just the shell that that she lived in. And one day when Jesus comes again, this body will be raised to eternal life. And I went in and checked it out, and I realized, this is just, this is not her. It's the body left behind. And that comforted me because I knew where she was. We're body and soul. There's never a point in time where the parts of our soul are divided and and separated from one another. They're together. So how do you work in that third third word, that third kind of life, that that zoe kind of life? I think we should think in terms of being two-part beings who can be spiritually dead or spiritually dead alive. Let's apply this uh, to body and soul. Think in terms of kind of a, of a four-square graph. We're created body and soul. We can be alive or dead. God created us with immortal bodies. Adam and Eve would never have had physical death had they not sinned. But when they died spiritually, when they turned away from God, their bodies went from being mortal to being mortal. We could play this graph on out and say, look at the end times when Christ will raise us again, then we'll be changed. That which was mortal will be made immortal again. We'll be restored to the way God created us in the first place. So our bodies can be created immortal, but by sin have become mortal. We know it, we feel it, that's why we have the physical decline. The soul can be alive to God or dead to God. We were created alive to God. Adam and Eve had fellowship with God. They loved him. He walked with them in the garden. But when they sinned, they were cut off from him and they became dead to God. And when we're dead to God, we don't have spiritual ears anymore. We don't have eyes to see anymore. We don't have a heart for him anymore. We hide. Adam hid in the garden when God came because he knew he would sin. He knew he was ashamed. He he knew he did not belong in the presence of God. And that's the way we're born. We're born mortal and we're born dead to God. John is about how we can be restored to that Zoe life again. How God can grant us, through Jesus, life. The Gospel of John is about how we, body and soul, through faith in Christ, may have eternal life. These things were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is really cool. And this should be satisfaction to your soul. If you, if you come and run and just look at the window, you just look at church, you're going to miss it. If you look through the window, however much it needs painting, however dirty it is, whatever spider webs are, but you look through the window and you see the one who gave you life in the first place, 
who gives you life anew through his grace, who gives you the faith even to have faith in him to embrace him. He becomes that well of living water that satisfies your soul, whatever stage of life you're in. When you are young, respond to him. If you haven't responded to him by the time you're in those middle stages, then get it right. Go through the midlife crisis in this way. What am I living for? What kind of good life do I want? This does not satisfy and turn to Christ who gives you that life. If you are in that last third, that uncertain third, every third, every, every third actually is uncertain. You know that that accident or that illness can happen at any time, can it? Every, but it just becomes more uncertain. Don't wait. How many people think, you know, I know you're right, I know you're right, but I want to have a good life and then I'll get right with God before I die. Well, if you've waited that long and you're not right with him, Turn to him, the thief on the cross, turn to him. But I don't recommend his pathway to you. Who wants to show up for the party when it's closing down? Who wants to get to the game when it's in the last minute of the game and you missed it all? Do you want to really wait? This is not just the pathway to life, the way to get to heaven. It's the pathway of life. So that you can enjoy life at every stage by loving God and glorifying him, forgiven of your sins, having that peace that comes in your soul so that there's a freshness that's not dependent upon, even dependent upon church. It's dependent upon Christ himself. And you know where you got to go when everything else is kind of iffy and awkward or dry. Is that where you go? Every stage of life. This is why the Gospel of John was written. From the beginning, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. John 10.10, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. This is the good life. And in fact, we're going to discover that if we, as Jesus called us to, when he said, if anyone would be my disciple, if we deny ourselves, take up our cross, die to self, and follow him, it's not like we're giving up the biological life and that's just going to be pitiful. And we're giving up the mental life, the psychological life, that we don't know anything. But we have Zoe life. It's not that. We are restored in our biological life and in our mental life to know this body that's wasting away now will one day be raised again imperishable. Wow, what a hope and joy is that. I don't understand everything now. I don't understand what God is doing, but yet I can trust him. And I can think about him, and I can think about the life to come. And the day will come when I understand clearly and understand perfectly. It gives me a purpose for life. See, this restores you to life. How many doctors say that worry and stress and anxiety hurts you physically? When you have peace with God, that even has benefit now physically. But even more than that, when you have that really bad news physically, and that you have that accident, you have that illness, is your life more than your body so that you can have a, a depth and quality of experience with God that satisfies your soul in that tough time? Wow, that's the kind of life we're talking about. That's drinking from the well of living water. So that's what the Gospel of John is all about. And I hope I have whetted your appetite 
uh, whetted your thirst for this study in this year. The Christian paradox is this. We read it in uh, the prayer of confession, and we've referred to it already in the sermon. And that is, if you love your life, you will lose it. If you love yourself, your suke, you'll lose it. But if you hate yourself, that doesn't mean self-loathing. That means you'll deny yourself, surrender yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ to follow him. Then you'll find yourself in this more than just life here and now. It's that Zoe eternal life that cannot be taken away. That will refresh you even now. Here's an assignment for you. I didn't know that this would be the last uh, uh, part of the outline to be your assignment until yesterday when Mary and I uh, went to a movie. And I've never assigned a movie before. Never been that confident. But we thought it was just a sports movie that we'd enjoy, an inspirational sports movie. And we went to The Overcomer. Have you seen it? Have you heard of it? You've got to go to it. It's more than a sports movie, and by the end of it, it, don't worship a full life as the full emotional thing, because you can't maintain that emotion. But at the end of that movie, my soul was full, my heart was in my throat, and the tears were coming down my cheeks, because it was so much more, and it pointed to the life that we're talking about in the Gospel of John. Go see that movie, and you'll say, that's the life. That's the the life that comes from the life giver that will satisfy my soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless us in this study, that you would refresh us, not from ourselves or in ourselves or even in the things we do as a church, but that in all these things we would be windows that would uh, help one another to see you to see you at work in us, to savor what you are doing in our lives, that we would uh, not focus on the cobwebs, but focus on the life giver, and that we would share that with one another in such a way that it would build a foundation for everything that is coming in the future in our lives. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.